your source for Big Ten Talk. It's Off Tackle Empire. Welcome back to the Off Tackle Empire podcast, where we're here to talk about the Big Ten. Ah! And, uh, we regret to inform you that uh, several bad things happened, and uh, our battlefield reports will be terse and covered in blood this week. Uh, this is Steve Braun. This is uh, this is Andrew Krzyzewski. That was me. Just picture me yelling as I just did in the background of the entire recap portion of this week's podcast because. You know the picture of the dog in the burning house, and he says, this is fine. This is not fine. Things are not fine. We're going to move on to our wind fight tribe rooster of the week, which is... Tall, cold glass of ice water. Water, because uh, the Big Ten needs to sober up here and just get its shit together, get its life priorities together. Come on, Big Ten, you're too old to be living like this all the time. Big Ten, the Big Ten needs a shower and a shave and a clean shirt right now. No, no beer this week for the Big Ten. Come on, Big Ten, get your shit together. Uh, so to, to get a little bit into the details... Uh, well, the first thing we need to talk about, though, before we talk about everybody that embarrassed themselves, is Minnesota, okay? Because Minnesota is extremely important, way too important for us to ever forget to recap them. Um, we, we which we did. would never do. We, we, no, we didn't actually forget. what had. <laughs> see, what had happened was... It was so important that we wanted people to be thinking about their previous games week going into the next week, and so we just we just kind of shut just just discreetly amongst the amongst the background placed the recap of Minnesota's week two game into week three preview, so but, that people would think about Minnesota even further into the future and reflect on all their glories and triumphs. And I do mean reflect with a fleck. But Brandon twenty four seven row the boat because we didn't. Because our genius was not appreciated, we will make sure that we lead off with a Minnesota recap so that, you know, so that the, uh, so that the boat rowers here can just shut this podcast off early. Actually, I'm looking at my outline here, and we're going to talk about them 10th. They are the 10th game we were going to talk about, so we'll, we'll get to them later. Anyway, uh, let's talk about a team that actually matters, uh, Penn State, Kent State, because if we're, if we're going to slide, if we're going to slide into this vat of just ice-cold sewage that is this last week... Better to just tip a dip a toe in there first and talk about something more pleasant. Let's let's can we focus on the positives? Come on now. Well, um, yeah, I suppose that we can. Sixty-three to ten victory over Kent State, proving, of course, you know the age-old question: Is Penn State better than Illinois? Yes, it appears that they are. I mean, oh, I, I guess that. we'll see definitively on let's, Friday. <laughs> let, let's not let's not you know give away anything from the preview portion here, Thump. I mean, we got, we got we got to leave the people in suspense. We got to give them something to come back for after the jump here. Well, anyway, they they held uh, Woody Barrett, uh, that uh, Auburn transfer, to a pretty incredible stat line. In, uh, 20 for 38 for 176 yards. That's 4.6 yards per attempt. That's like that's like an okay rushing day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you hope to do a little bit better than that throwing the ball. but 38 was... attempts for 176 yards is a very Wisconsin rushing attack yeah. type of stat line. But anyway, no, 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 stop advertising. Dis- disregard is. that commercial. They have not paid for airtime on this podcast. Disregard that commercial. So anyway, uh, McSorley, of course, throwing for a couple of touchdowns. Um, Running for a couple more. Our Penn, just, State col- our Penn State colleagues want to call to our attention all the awesome career numbers that he has, as though that justifies him as player of the week in a week when they played Kent State. We reject this proposition out of hand. You cannot be the player of the week if you're going against Kent State unless you play for Illinois because, you know, relatively... Well, uh, unless unless a heroic performance is actually necessary for you to beat Kent State. Right. If, if McSorley only runs one touchdown in, only throws for a couple of touchdowns, Penn State probably still wins this game by three scores, so... Well, they turned it over once, but uh, made up for that by outgaining the Golden Flashes 643 to 221. Yeah, so, okay, you know, good, so good Penn for State, Penn State. Okay, so Penn State is a good team, and probably now we can say is alone at the top near Ohio State. Yeah, I would say... In the general vicinity sure, of sure, Ohio sure. State. And, and right now they're the only team that's anywhere near Ohio State. Which Ohio State's Tier 1, Penn State's Tier 2, and then there's an empty tier below <laughs> Penn State. Yeah, 
And then uh, below that, there's kind of where, like, uh, like Wisconsin, I guess, still, and Michigan, and whoever Indiana. else lives. Yeah, <laughs> right. So that's what we're dealing with in this. This is one of those years where it's like, is Indiana actually one of the better teams in the conference? They might be. Uh, we'll come to them in a bit. But so what Penn State's kind of shown these last couple weeks is that despite having shuffled a number of excellent players out on the offensive side of the ball, they're not really missing them because they've recruited better guys, if anything, to replace them. I mean... When I say better, I'm not trying to say that you've got a better guy than Saquon Barkley, but there's so much talent on the roster behind him, not going to miss any individual player. McSorley's not been tremendously accurate so far this year. Uh, not sure why that is, but I, I feel like we'll see that, you know, as you have game plans for teams like Ohio State, right? Your game plans for non-conference games against the MAC are going to be different and show a little less. Uh, anyway, Penn State is going to open up conference play so they've got what's essentially a glorified scrimmage in Champaign on Friday night before their big test against Ohio State in two weeks. Yeah, uh, so we're, because we've got a lot of losses to cover here, and you know the conference went six and seven overall. Michigan State on a bye. All the other teams playing non conference. Good strategy for the Spartans. Yeah, brilliant scheduling move there by Mark Hollis, who from his um, pleasant and totally unforced retirement, turns out that we're still benefiting from his decisions on the field at least. So. That's something. In any case, the first loss we'll cover here is Wisconsin. One of those games where it, it ends, and then you look at the stat line, you think about the game you just watched, and you're like, how did Wisconsin lose this game? An earth-shattering loss here. This was really unexpected. Wisconsin was a 24-point favorite, if I'm recalling correctly. Something like that. And I, I kept saying to anyone who would listen that this is the best Wisconsin team ever assembled. This one... I still... I mean, I thought 2011 was still better, given what we saw the first couple weeks. I thought this offense was more limited. I don't think this Wisconsin team would go down uh, 14 to nothing to Illinois. Well, again, different times that we're talking about, but... Yeah, it, you, but they do They do have a complete fraud at quarterback, so... so it's, I guess in that way they're similar. <laughs> What's 2011? Yep, yep. They had At that point, they had the phoniest person to ever live at quarterback, and like... Okay, I say this as someone that has had Tim Tebow shoved down my throat. He's weird, but Russell Wilson was still good. So, in, in any case, before we get too far down the wormhole here, um, I mean, just, again, look at the stat lines here. BYU only threw for, like, 130 yards, and 30 of that was on a trick play touchdown, their only passing touchdown of the day. They ran fairly effectively with just, just one of the best names you'll ever hear in Squally Canada. Squally Canada was <laughs> definitely, definitely brought a cold front to Camp Randall, and the yardage gains were similar, 311, 394 for Wisconsin, but a crucial turnover really kind of provided the difference here. Yeah, Wisconsin, and, uh, and then Wisconsin got in a position to kick a game-tying field goal, and the senior kicker, Gagliannone, just misses it. Um, two timeouts called before that kick. I know most people, like there's studies showing that taking timeouts doesn't work, it doesn't ice the kicker. The guy's a senior, you don't expect that to work. Because they took the timeouts and then they missed the kick, everyone's going to call it a great use of strategy. I don't know, man. Um, well, I mean, um, first off, we're not, we haven't talked anywhere near enough about Taiwan deal, which definitely sounds like something that you would find more in the headlines of, you know, foreign affairs here. Um, like, yeah. But Taiwan like, <laughs> deal is not necessarily the worst deal in the history of trade deals. I think the Taiwan deal turned out okay compared <laughs> to, say, the North Korea deal. Yeah, or like some secret shit that Nixon did that we're just now finding out about. But in any case, uh, yeah, he um, he was the one who punched in a couple times. Jonathan Taylor, again, showing some problems holding on to the ball, which given how much he rushes it, maybe they're going to have to think about scaling back on his workload. Cause BYU relatively with... contained him, though. 26 carries, 117 yards, wasn't able to bust out any really big plays. But every Wisconsin fan's fears about Alex Hornibrook Rang true, and he threw what was just a brutal interception. Yeah. Very yeah. ill-advised. And that ended up being uh, a really, really important in this in a game, you know, where the yardage is close and BYU's not turned the ball over. And with a guy, you know, with a guy who's in his third year as a starter now, if he's still making these kinds of mistakes, that's probably just what he is. You've got almost two entire years left with him as the quarterback. And if you're a Wisconsin fan, I think you always have to wonder, man, are we ever going to win a big game with this guy? Or is he always going to make that big mistake at the worst time? Uh, wow. So a touchdown from BYU came from Moroni Laulu Kututau. Um, we got Steve over here speaking in tongues. Sorry if he like conjures anything out of any musty old books in your, you know, in your study as you're listening. Yeah, to I'm. I'm really hoping that we haven't uh, summoned any trolls from deep within the lake, like on Metalocalypse. 
Um, awaken, awaken Mustakrakish. Ah, I was gonna look up if uh, Moroni is a thing that you should really name your person, given that isn't. I'm sure that that's angel like, or the something. Yeah, yep. That's okay. Yeah, that's an, that is a messenger angel. Okay, so that is a thing that would be okay to name your kid. I mean, we name people Gabe all the time, don't we? Well, you remember, uh, you remember uh, what was it? Providence player, God Sham God from the '80s basketball I, player. No, I can't say I remember that Providence player from the. 80s. Anyway, I God was born Sh- in 1988. I'm older than you. Well, God <laughs> Sham God was a guy that inspired uh, name of the year, the whole thing, uh, way back in the day. Okay. So anyway, moving on, Wisconsin. I mean, just Wisconsin just totally shit the bed here. There's no other word for it. Uh, they and the year before, better team I mean, than BYU. The week before that, they had just. Broken or tied, some they were somewhere on a record list for longest streak without a home non-conference loss. Yes, in two thousand fifteen years, Man, yeah. they lost to Minnesota more recently than they lost a home game. God, imagine that they've lost to Minnesota ever. That's happened. Yeah, yeah. Like Facebook wasn't a thing. YouTube wasn't a thing the last time they lost at home uh, to a non-conference team. Yeah, I mean, given that they're number six in the country. You, this you, is an earth-shattering loss. There's just no other word for it. This guess, is really bad. <laughs> I guess the last thing to kind of wrap this up before we move on, you think there's any prospect of Wisconsin still making the playoff? If they, I mean, clearly they'd have to run the table. It's early in the season. Maybe BYU ends up being better than we thought. I think BYU is 2-1 and one now after this game. Yeah, and they, they, they pantsed Kevin Sumlin early. Well, yeah, for whatever that means. But yeah, all that means is that they've played Kevin Sumlin. So... I, get, I mean, it would really, it's, to me, it's going to be dependent on factors outside their control. If there's a lot of other chaos at the top, we'll see. I mean, I mean, yeah, this loss doesn't eliminate their path to the college football playoff, but what it does do is show that they're probably not on the, you know. You probably, they probably don't want to be there anyway. Yeah, they if you went, go with this type of team capable of losing that game and you play Bama or Clemson, God, think of what those defensive lines are going to do to this offense after what we just saw BYU's, you know, group of like 25-year-old insurance salesmen do. Yeah, and and to be sure, I mean, with their schedule, yeah, they would definitely, if they ran the table, beat, beat Ohio State, they would. But this loss shows that unlike last year's team, which went toe-to-toe for the most part with the Buckeyes, at least the defense against their offense, uh, this is not a team that's anywhere near that caliber, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, again, one loss, but they've got... You know, they've, they've got kind of an important thing coming up here. Let's see if they get it corrected, and then we'll know kind of how the West is going to shake out. Yeah, Maybe. this is the this game suddenly looks a lot closer. Yeah, we knew before the season that it was going to be an important one early in the year, but we might actually have a more competitive game than we thought. I think in our preseason previews, we were kind of thinking, this is going to be important, but Wisconsin's going to win. It's more up in the air now. So, And this is good, isn't it? I mean, if you're an observer of the conference, yeah. don't you want oh, yeah. both it's, divisions it's to be interesting instead of it just... It certainly is interesting. Okay, put like Wisconsin, conclusions. Yeah, put Wisconsin in on this side of a Big Ten championship game and then see what comes out on the other side. I mean, you put Wisconsin in, you take Wisconsin out, you put Wisconsin in, and you move it all about. And you jump around about, yeah, okay. All right, so we'll go back to a win you here now. Brady and Hokey Pokey. God, I don't want to picture him doing the Hokey Okay, so Michigan played Speaking SMU, of- and uh, Jim Harbaugh trolled you. Yeah, what a, what an asshole. Uh, <laughs> I made the mistake of playing Karan Higdon this week in our college fantasy league, and that didn't go well. Because someone doesn't announce injuries. Never again, man. Because it like... Did this not feel on paper like a game where, okay, they're just going to run it 50 times, both running backs will be over 100 yards, they're both going to score, I'm fine whoever I use? Nope. Because, man, that khaki-wearing son of a bitch, I, I will slap him if I ever you see You know, him. as I was watching this game, though, I remember being puzzled by the score for a long time because... It was closer than the final score would indicate, yes. Yeah, and I was thinking, like, wait a minute, it was a SMU's bad. What's going on here? Why is Michigan not, like, just pounding away at them? Hard to say because, yes, their their roster's not in a great place after what Chad Morris left them I in. Mean, why did Arkansas hire Chad Morris, by the way? Did you see that fake fair catch touchdown that North Texas ran on Arkansas? Oh, man. God, that was beautiful. That was amazing. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> far be it from us to throw stones at the SEC for embarrassing things right now. Um, yeah, I did not think SMU was really in that in a position to challenge Michigan like this. Wolverines showed kind of a lot of the same issues early on. The offensive line still had problems in pass protection. Patterson looked pretty good, but he has the whole time. 
you know, they didn't really get the run game moving as much as you would have thought. Again, the final stats you're going to look at and you're going to think, oh, they they rolled, they dominated. Donovan Peoples-Jones actually looks like a wide receiver now. We'll see when they play a team with actual talent. Because if I remember right, the halftime score was 14-7 or something like or 21-7. It was 21-7. It took a couple of last-minute scores to get to that. It was tied at 7 midway through the second quarter, late stages of the second quarter. So, you know, we'll see... Their matchup with Nebraska next week, I think, is really going to be one of two games, depending on whether Martinez is able to play. But they're still vulnerable to the big play. Still kind of struggle to get on track on offense against a team. The spread ended up at 36, I believe, in this game. Yeah. So, basically what happened was we learned nothing about Michigan other than that just reinforcing that they're a decent, solid team. Uh, a decent, solid, unspectacular team, look, which I think is a little bit less than what Michigan fans were expecting because this was supposed to be the year. But placed in the context of what happened elsewhere this week, you can probably be satisfied with a 25-point win at home. That's Speaking of being satisfied, I yeah. <laughs> might be with the Illinois-USF game. Oh, you're walking it back now, man. On Saturday, you were thrilled, and you like you never had any expectation they would win. You were very clear about that. Oh, yeah, no, I thought I saw this game the whole time uh, until right near the end. I wasn't even thinking in terms of this is a victory. I was you thinking in thrilled. terms of a moral victory. You were thrilled that this game was as close as it was. Illinois, yeah. you had a... Double-digit lead in the fourth yeah, quarter. Twelve point. Yeah, the best part about blowing a nineteen to seven lead is in the fourth quarter is having a nineteen seven lead in the fourth quarter, which <laughs> Illinois had. How did USF get to twenty five from seven? Um, how did they? They sure as shit didn't kick a bunch of field goals because their kicker <laughs> was. They just they just kicked, they kicked six field goals in the fourth quarter down starting down twelve and. <laughs> That's like uh, that. That's like some Kirk Ferentz shit, man. Like, <laughs> um, well, but anyway, I mean, tell me a little bit more. It, it looks to me like Illinois finally, maybe against their will, maybe just because everybody else is hurt, decided offensively we're gonna let Mike Epstein carry us as far as he can. Well, and that worked pretty. Was, that worked pretty well for those first two games. Um, and they were they were pretty upfront about this. They had bubble wrap on Epstein um, because they were concerned about. You know his ability to play at 100% coming off a broken foot, the kind of runner that he is. They were, they, you know, those were teams that they shouldn't have they, needed Epstein against. Them yeah, anyway, exactly. But, and yeah. and right. they 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 hewed a little closer to, the, you know what I mean? They they played they played it a little bit dangerously, but they stuck to their guns of being cautious about injuries. You know, holding players out from those games because they should be wins. Now, yeah, as a result, I ended up like. You know, cursing and yelling at the TV down 17-3 to Kent State at halftime. But, hey, now they took it the ball off of Epstein. Out. It worked out in the and, end. And uh, the offensive line run blocks, uh, I think, a lot better than they did in the first two weeks. Unfortunately, the pass protection is still abysmal. And what happened was that we weren't able to move the ball in the second half because M.J. Rivers, as good as he looked earlier, you saw him drop back, and then he almost looked like what the hell? Like, at first I thought that it was because he just, you know, didn't have the reps to make the snap decisions in this offense. But then I realized, no, they're rushing three and dropping eight into coverage and still getting to him immediately. So what that what the hell is, there's nobody open and I have no pocket. What's going on here? We brought in... We brought in extra blockers. This is true. We brought in extra blockers and still couldn't slow down a three-man rush from South Florida. Illinois plays Penn State on Friday. Hey, man, look at it this way. At least you didn't get sacked by a two-man rush by an American conference team. It could have been worse. That is true. South Florida was clearly the far superior team, but the main reason that they that we had them down so much is because for the first time in a long time that I can remember, Illinois lined up against a, you know, a competitive to superior team and made fewer mistakes that was so encouraging to see them not being the ones to see the other team being the ones to rack up the penalties and you know turn the ball over I mean we got some we got uh what was it two interceptions or was one of them a phone? no it was two interceptions uh both on tips the d-line the pass rush was not really there but they were batting down balls which was nice to see and our special teams, I've been saying it all along, our kickers are the best players on our team, and Chase McLaughlin, I think, is an NFL kicker. He neutralized... Well, that. Low, low bar, isn't it? 
<laughs> Fair enough. He neutralized the return game by kicking touchback after touchback. He went four for four, including a 46 and a 53 yarder. Like it's, it's an underrated weapon to have in college. Yeah, honestly, given, yeah. Given the number of special, don't big special see teams plays, you see. I mean, Chris Ash chose to punt from the Kansas 39. He chose. So. Um, but you don't usually see coaches electing to kick field goals that long. Lovey Smith has a lot of faith in Chase McLaughlin, and it's justified. And Blake Hayes uh, continues to to pin guys inside their own 10. Anyway. If you look at the box score, South Florida gained over 600 yards. Uh, they outgained us by more than 200. So, like, Blake Barnett, have, former Alabama starter Blake Barnett, be nice when we uh, ha- get to play quarterbacks that didn't start in the SEC. Um, anyway. Well, I don't, think either, had, I don't think either of those guys ever started in the SEC, which is Blake why. Blake Barnett started game one for Alabama one time. Did he? Huh. Um, I think Jalen Hurts ended up beating him out. That was a hmm. – that was – if you can believe this, that was a year where Alabama wasn't sure what they had at quarterback. <laughs> Gosh, you know, it's just for a program with just such perennial problems, finding a signal collar, boy, the Tide sure do just just manage to muck along and overcome those those difficulties and those tribulations and somehow just having a, having a little bit of success down there. Man, that's good for them. Happy to see that. But anyway, the fact that we, had, that we were able to make so few mistakes, uh, you know, and coupled with the fact that we're going to get AJ Bush back at some point. Uh, you, he was he was held out due to injury. You want that though? I mean, how, well, how do you feel about Rivers at this point? Well, the thing is, with no pass protection, I guess Bush is right, probably the best. Yes, choice. because sure. Rivers delivers a beautiful, beautiful ball. He's a really good thrower, and I think that he doesn't have the skill set necessary to really thrive in this offense if it's really quarterback run oriented. He makes good decisions, but is not. Really a game-changing athlete, not the kind of guy that can compensate with his feet for having no pass protection. If it, if it had been Bush late in the game, if Bush had been in late in the game, I think Illinois has a much better chance of winning because they move the you ball know, yeah, you have more, more effectively once they're yeah. you know passing the ball late in that you know in that in that drive late. Um, anyway, I come out of this encouraged, uh, but you know it's hard to be that encouraged. But I'm still I'd say that I'm like. A little closer to where I was before the season than after the first two games. In other words, <laughs> right, so revising back to three wins. I think we'll win a Big Ten game now. <laughs> all right, so we're <laughs> circled all the way back to where you started. Okay, good to no, see you. No, a little really below party. where I started, but closer to there than I would in that dark place in the oh, second boy. quarter of Western Illinois. Oh, boy. That was a dark place. Now we got Penn State. We had, <laughs> this is going to be bad. All right, okay. All right, so... Uh, over on We Know You Have Sand, we had to like basically cut an entire segment of the podcast that was just me talking in this kind of a voice about what a dark place that was in in the second quarter of that Western game. <laughs> anyway, moving on to um, Purdue versus Missouri. Purdue, man. Purdue. We say that because, as the broadcast kept highlighting, their interesting point here, uh, brothers playing on each team. Um, Purdue's receiver, Jared Sparks, I think his name is. Um and then Mizzou has a cornerback, Adam Sparks. I think I've got those names right. Um, but the Sparks brothers actually matched up with each other. The defensive player tackled the offensive player a few <laughs> times. It was, it was pretty cool. Interesting thing to see. You don't usually see that kind of thing. Yeah. Brothers, you see the barbers play. Yeah. But it's again, it's unusual. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that little sideshow being aside, this was an entertaining game. If you're a Purdue fan, I can see why you might be about willing to throw in the towel at this point, but I still like a lot what I see. I mean, the record, yes, is probably infuriating, but this game, as much as the first two, and maybe more so than the first two, really did feel like more of a personnel shortcoming than anything that was really within the coach's control. I mean, you just you did you didn't have anybody who could defend Mizzou's passing attack, and they ran it pretty well too. Um, now, given what they what you do have on hand, which is good quarterbacks and some damn good skill players. I think Brahm is making lemonade out of lemons here, but no, this this to me, I mean, again, Purdue and Mizzou were both teams with capable offenses and atrocious defenses. Yeah. So, on the on the on the <clears throat> on the other hand, Purdue has got to accept that zero and four is more likely than not at this point with a very good Boston College oh, yeah. team coming oh, to town. Because yeah, a it, really good Boston College team with a great rushing attack and a and. A, Functional enough defense. You catch any of Boston College's game with Wake Forest oh, yeah. this week. They they play. They're not what everyone thinks they are anymore. Everyone thinks of them as 
this sort of Cro-Magnon, you know, bash your head into the line 50 times. No, they got they got more of a balanced offense than that. And to be fair, they still are that sometimes. Like the bowl game against Iowa last year, yes, they absolutely were that. But again, but the it's field, not the 45 field a, carries per game. Right, the field was a skating rink. And when you have A.J. Dillon, it's hard not to. But they play at a much faster pace than most people think they do. They're not going to throw it around the way Mizzou does, but they can throw it. Uh, and what we what we've seen from Purdue defensively so far this year, yeah, there there are going to be some games like this, and probably some games like this where you go up against better defenses. Boston College is a better defense. Uh, I think the line I saw was something like five and a half for Boston College. That seems that seems like that seems like easy money. I think that's probably going to end up around a touchdown. It is at Purdue, I believe. But, but you know what? I've always maintained that if I'm going to lose a bunch of games, I'd rather lose with scores like forty to thirty-seven. Then with scores like seven to three. Yes, it is at least entertaining football. David I, Blau threw for five hundred seventy-two yards, which is a Purdue record. Unfortunately, when you set passing yardage records, you usually lose. I was discussing this in the comments. Illinois' passing yardage record, which I think is also the Big Ten's, uh, quarterback Dave Wilson in nineteen eighty threw for six hundred twenty-one yards and six touchdowns against Ohio State. They still lost. Uh, yeah. The NCAA. Division one, I think FBS, maybe all Division one record for passing yardage in a game is 734. It's been done twice. Both teams lost. Okay, this is Washington State and Texas Tech. Unsurprising. Okay. <laughs> they just gave up like 900 yards of offense going the other way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, both were losses. So if you're if you're setting passing yardage records, it's usually because you're down a lot. Yeah, so to kind of put a bow on looking back at Purdue, again, I know that it's frustrating to be 0-3 when everyone expected a big year-two jump from Braum, but you got to remember, the roster is what it is, man. And those last couple Hazel years recruiting-wise were tough. Yeah, they missed a have, lot on defense. You, yeah, especially on that side of the ball. It, it, if you don't have the guys, it doesn't matter what the scheme is that you're running. Rondale Moore so. got 11 catches for 137 yards. He looks like a big playmaker. I mean, they've clearly you see that whatever Brom has on offense, he's going to make the most out of it. It's, it's not as apparent that they're going to be able to do that defensively. That's going to be more about getting better players, but they're recruiting well there. You're going to see impact guys. It might not even, it might not even be next year, but in the future, it really... You get more of a sense that this is going the right direction than you ever did with Daryl Hazel. So that's yeah, still got to be absolutely no. No Purdue fan is questioning Jeff Brom at this point. It's just I would the, East, so. the Eastern Michigan game was let's regret a fuck up. Regret yeah. should, you shouldn't have lost that game. But uh, you know one and three, zero oh and four. Brom? It's not the difference between doubting your head coach and Brom's not the guy out there committing personal fouls yeah. at the end of games. I mean that's on the players as well. So all right. So moving on here, let's let's. Iowa beat Northern Iowa. Who the hell cares? No one. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> no, well, I guess to, it was 38 nothing late in the game. The only, there's So it's not even as close as it looks, but it, it's an FCS team. Granted, usually a pretty good one. Sure, it's an in-state team. Maybe they play up a little bit for this game. They've given Iowa problems in the past. You're a damn Big Ten team. You shouldn't struggle with an FCS team. I know it's become normal recently for that to happen. It's not supposed to be. We're supposed to, this is supposed to be the result. We're going to pat you on the head now. Shut the hell up. Just because Wisconsin lost doesn't mean that you're actually in line for the division again. you got to prove something this week. Then we'll give you your cookies. Yep, absolutely. There's just not much more to say about that when the stat lines were impressive but conservative, as though they were playing a preseason game, uh, because it's more or less what this was. So, moving on. Nebraska losing at home by five points to Troy. And we're putting this... Like, there's plenty of games left to talk about, and we're kind of, as you can tell, we're kind of sliding down in quality of game that was played here. So I warned you, okay? <laughs> you did, we, you did. we we warned you. Yeah, yeah, man. And I hope that you know. Obviously, you don't expect to you don't expect to lose this game if you're Nebraska. But I, I hope that any well-educated Husker fan would have come into this game knowing it was certainly a possibility, especially with uh, Martinez out. Wu Troy clan ain't nothing to fuck with. Uh, again, we've mentioned they beat LSU last year. They who did they have on the ropes the year before? They almost beat somebody else. Clemson. Not, yeah. 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 They had Clemson on the ropes the year before. How how Neil Brown is still a head coach in the Sun Belt? I have no idea. It's probably just a matter of waiting for the right opportunity. Um, I was gonna say the way PJ Fleck did. I guess maybe we're the jury's still out on that. But like, I'm sure he's had job offers. But if it's you know. If it's like New Mexico or whatever, or Illinois, you know, 
<laughs> he's trash programs. That, no, he's probably Rutgers. just he's, to be honest, he's probably just waiting for an SEC job to open up at a place, yeah. at a place other than yeah, like that's Vanderbilt. Fair. That's fair. And, and you know what? Other than Vanderbilt, this is the so. SEC. He won't have to wait too long. No, no. I, if we were to handicap odds, let's see. I mean, Kentucky. I guess you could see. Um, Except that they just beat Florida, so <laughs> yeah. So I think that alone they're probably is gonna... stuck. They're probably stuck with Stoops forever now. Uh, <laughs> I mean, really. I don't know. This could be the most stable year in SEC maybe, coaching maybe in history just because so many of them are brand new. Maybe something melts down at Mizzou. Like if Locke gets hurt and they lose out, they fire Barry Odom or something. There, there'll probably be a, a or Jimbo Fisher like leaves for the NFL or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's always something that we don't foresee. So uh, who knows? You know, Will Muschamp uh, accidentally concusses himself, smashing his head into a wall. He can't coach, so maybe he got hired. Yeah. Nick Saban has a Bobby Petrino motorcycle scandal. What would that even look like? <laughs> Uh, we can just only furiously we just, praying. We can only hope. We just want football to be interesting again. It's not interesting with Alabama. With, yeah, with that goddamn star destroyer looming above <laughs> us. Just like any second, just gonna commence orbital bombardment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Nebraska outgained Troy, but turned it over three times to their two. Uh, Troy is a Troy is just a really really solid team, and uh, like I said, I thought they would be one of the solid group of five teams they still very well could be it's just this Boise State team I think would nuke most of the Big Ten. Oh yeah for sure I mean even with their loss against Oklahoma State I, yeah the murder smurfs would would not we don't we, we don't want any part of that um you know as with the Purdue game this also kind of looked like a personnel issue um you know Frost is going to run the system he's going to run he's not necessarily going to modify it for a sophomore walk-on who is not really a very good fit for it uh, but you could make some tweaks to make the guy a little more comfortable if you know he's not going to play. It, it, given that they already lost, they lost the Akron game result altogether. That's not going to happen, and they dropped the previous game. And it doesn't seem like the results are troubling to to Frost at this point. Although I heard a lot more noise concerning problems with Frost than I did with Brom, which I found a little. You know, well, um, I was, I was about to say, yeah, come on. I was about to say I found that surprising. That was not surprising uh, at all. Yeah. Anybody out there who's Questioning Scott Frost's job stats at this point, you need to take a long damn look at your life and figure out what the hell you're what the hell you're coming up with these. Oh, I mean, to be fair, like you know, yeah, Nebraska did allow a really just you know a really uh, crucial touchdown on punt return, Um, but like I don't know, it's a personnel issue though. Scott Frost inherited kind of a mess at Nebraska, and it's gonna take some time, and I think they all know that. It just this is what it looks like. This is what that looks like in practice. I think they knew it would be like this going in. But they didn't realize what it would look like. You always when it have you always have some hope in the back of your head, like, no man, we hired the perfect coach. He's gonna make things right immediately. We're not gonna have to wait. It's the it's an instant. <laughs> Jeff Brom's twenty seventeen raised the bar for first year head coaches. Yeah, I suppose that's part that, of it. That right? I think is a really Jeff Brom did a hell of a job last year. That could be part of it. Um and I guess also had a good, a, 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 you know, a decent defensive players to work with. There. He did. He had the few. And he had he had those quarterbacks too. So yeah, there were. <laughs> if you want to know the honest truth, there were more pieces for Brom to work with at Purdue than there were for Frost to work with at Nebraska. Think about that for a second. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, the quarterback depth chart, right? Well, right, and so, and that's the other thing is you know your backup, your only scholarship backup, immediately transfers. When you give the job to the other kid, and then the other kid gets hurt, what are you going to do? You're playing a walk-on at quarterback. Yeah, you lost at home. That's not great, but these things happen when you're doing a complete program rebuild, and this is why Scott Frost asked for a seven-year contract and got it. Yep. So What sucks for Nebraska is that usually this part of the schedule, for the last few years, we've played... Illinois played Nebraska real early in the season. It sucks that Nebraska doesn't get their like tune-up. You know, oh, now the team is fixed again. Win over Illinois. <laughs> um, they're gonna have to wait till November to get that one. By which point, there might be some some angry people in Lincoln. We'll calm down. We'll calm down. We should at this point just rebrand ourselves as football consultants because we cure what ails a struggling team and just you know charge a big old fee. You know, like like the type of payday that you get that you give like an fcs school or something like that or, or like the firms that you bring in the hot to do a coaching search and they tell you to hire the guy you're gonna hire anyway yes <laughs> illinois well jones, except except we're very effective at fixing struggling teams the jones day of college football all right so, <laughs> so anyway moving on to the most important team in this write-up which is of course minnesota uh not much to talk about here either let's move on oh actually um 
I always tend to be curious about what happens to guys, especially quarterbacks who transfer, and I don't, like, they just announce, oh, I'm transferring, and you don't, like, there's never any follow-up, like, I'm transferring to this place. Well, turns out Miami Hydroxide was a landing place for former Brady Hope quarterback project Alex Malzone. Um, who knew? You learn something every day. Um, he doesn't start for Miami. So that was what Brady Hope decided to recruit at quarterback. If you're wondering why Jim Harbaugh had to go out and recruit multiple guys and bring in multiple transfers, it's fair enough to note that. Um, Tyler Johnson caught three touchdowns. They have some decent options at wide receiver, which is good because they're kind no, of down to their last guy at running back. Well, yeah, that. And looking at the way the targets were distributed here, they have one decent option at wide receiver. Yeah. Bateman's a promising prospect but he's a freshman he did not do anything in this game oh wait a minute wasn't kirby smart seen talking to him at one point bateman yeah somebody somebody said that something like that that kirby smart was at one point seen talking to that guy which means pj fleck beat kirby smart for a recruit row the damn boat i know what that means pj fleck taking the georgia job after kirby smart Leaves to coach the Falcons. Probably. Or, by which you, of course, mean gets fired after losing in the national championship game two straight years. <laughs> I mean, it would be... That would be pretty Georgia, wouldn't it? There, Come on, they gave you two whole years and you couldn't do it? You couldn't beat Nick Saban's Death Star in two years. You're fired! Yeah. So. With all that talent that Mark Rick recruited? So. He did. But, you know, smarts were kicked it up a notch. So, nothing else to say there. Moving on. Um... I'm not, this is this game I'm going to put in the what happened This category. is one of the more baffling ones from a very You can probably weekend. guess where we're going with this. Maryland losing at home by 21 points to Temple. This is not the Temple of a few years ago that beat up on Penn State. Which was hilarious, but at least understandable, because Penn State's roster was still and a Temple wreck. Had a and very Temple, was really, Temple was really damn good. Um but yeah, so Maryland. And I was... looked at this, and I thought, with the score being thirty-five to fourteen, I thought, oh man, I mean, Maryland must have just really, you know, screwed up, turned it over, allowed some things. No, no, no. I looked at the yardage. Maryland couldn't generate two hundred yards of offense. They did. They had three starting offensive linemen sitting for various injuries. Reports circulating out there seem to suggest the team did not take Temple that seriously. This head coaching thing remains weird. Will continue to be weird because, by the way, that report on the McNair thing comes out Friday. Oh, man. <laughs> so you hear that. You probably find out at that point what happens with Durkin. Yeah. How do you play the game the next day? I don't so know. So now Maryland <laughs> has a transitive loss to Villanova and a transitive win over USC. That means USC has a transitive loss to Villanova. It's the circle, the circle of trash. Watch <laughs> out for those infographics. I think I might have enough to prepare the first circle of trash of the year. Aye, aye, aye. Um, but, you know, notwithstanding the results here, which are, are poor and difficult to explain, I do have to give Matt Cannon a lot of credit here because he immediately gobbled up all the blame for this loss. He said, look, I can tell you the mistake that we made in every play. Entirely my fault. I screwed up repeatedly. That's about all there is to it. We're moving on. So, he, you know, I guess we'll see whether or not he remains the head coach, if he wants to be a head coach. He's been in enough different spots by now. You would think if he wanted that, he could have found a gig somewhere. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know what you do with this result. Did anybody see this coming? I don't think so. Oh, I mean, no. I no, I, I was shocked. I was just shocked. Um, what I guess maybe we have to come to terms with is the fact that Maryland is the new Ron Zook, Illinois, in that they do very <laughs> well with all this recruiting talent. And then oh, sometimes brother. they beat Texas, and sometimes they lose to Temple, and... It's a random number generator. Uh, I will tell you what, to anybody thinking, hey, that Illinois at Maryland game looks a little tastier now, nope, because I remember the last time we had uh, we had a defensive player transferred to a school that we then played. It was the Houston Bates Bowl against Louisiana Tech, where he was the MVP of the damn bowl game, just <laughs> killing us back there. Trey Watson grabbed 15 tackles in this game. He's going to... I mean, he's going to be the National Defensive Player of the Week that week. And you thought there was no way we could circle back to the bowl game Tim Beckman took Illinois to. <laughs> you haven't learned anything. I'm sorry, the bowl game Mike Dudek took Illinois to. <laughs> and also James Franklin. Alright, so <laughs> let's get to something that was, that was a little bit more um, optimistic. Indiana rolling over Ball State. I'll tell you what, I put Indiana at three in the power poll this week because... It, I could see it. Because Indiana is... Is solid. They've shown a, a balanced offense, a pretty functional defense. We loaded on defense much better than I thought. Yeah, they were. We, I was... we really underrated them on defense, and 
you know, Ball State. Fairly enough, though. I mean, it's not like they recruit yeah. such a way that you'd expect him to be able to replace all that lost production right away. But with Tom Halland calling the shots, apparently that's possible. And, and I know the transitive property of wins is, you know, in close games is not an exact science, but they looked way more convincing against Ball State than did Notre Dame. Right. And although, you know, Notre Dame was coming off something of an emotional game the week before when they played. They had Michigan, and then you go to ball, play Ball State after that. Are you really going to be getting up for the Cardinals of Muncie? Uh, Depends on whether or not your head coach is any good, doesn't it? I suppose so, and whether or not your quarterback just turns back into a pumpkin after playing the best game of his life. So, But, yeah, hey, they, Stevie Scott looks very good, and they're able to use him effectively. Peyton Ramsey, we know, is a, is a capable scrambler, mm-hmm. capable thrower. Mm-hmm. Um I don't feel great about that game this week. We'll get into that in the previews, but uh, yeah. Yeah, Indiana is quietly, they're going to be underrated, I think, and I I think that they have a chance to, like, I don't want to say that they, like, beat one of those two teams that they haven't beaten since the 80s, but this could be the best Indiana season in quite some time. Now, by speaking those words out loud, of course, you have cast a horrible curse upon them. Hey, look, I didn't cast the curse, the other curse there of those two teams they haven't beaten since the 80s, so that's way more important to me that they speak win them, one of those two games. Speak them not by their names. So, no, of course not. <laughs> All right, so um, I'm, I'm going to yield the floor to you for this, <laughs> for this next one. Listen, gentle listener, maybe you can infer by the, the cackling in the darkness uh, <laughs> by, my, by my partner here on this podcast where we're going to be going next. Uh, Unbelievable. North, Northwestern 34, Akron 39. Uh, so what I say you? I thought Akron was going to keep this close. I saw the game had gotten to 21-3, and I went, oh, damn it. Uh, I guess that's not happening. And then suddenly, Northwestern just started loading its foot up with bullets. Um, September Northwestern is a real thing. Yeah, September like, Northwestern. This was the most September Northwestern year that they've ever had from a 21-7 loss to Duke. To then blowing a twenty-one to three lead to trail, they led twenty-one to three and they trailed by eleven in the fourth quarter. It's rem- it's all the span of the second half too. Remarkable yeah. how how much they screwed the pooch on this one. And every time we talked about how bad Northwestern is in September and the off season, and even the first couple weeks of this season, I'm like, this, in the back of my head, I'm always thinking, this is really stupid. Like this isn't actually a thing. But no, like statistically, this absolutely is a thing. I saw somewhere uh, on Twitter, I believe it might have been Roger Sherman who tweeted that Northwestern in the last two seasons plus this year have lost to Western Michigan, Illinois State, Akron, and Duke twice, and they've gone, I think it was 13-6 and six in the conference in, those same, in that same span. They do get better, give them some credit, they probably will get better over the course of the season, but by the time they're good, nobody cares because they've already lost yeah, all these exactly. games. That's- that's the thing. That's what Pat Fitzgerald does is he cuts down your expectations right at the start of the season because, look, the last time he didn't was 2013 when you went into that that uh, primetime game against Ohio State undefeated and then everybody, lost so badly that the program died. And then everybody was looking. Yep, everybody so, was looking, and then they lost, what, they lost their next six after that. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Northwestern couldn't. Or wouldn't run the ball as uh, Larkin managed two touchdowns, but only 82 yards on 22 carries. Northwestern with 2.4 yards per rushing attempt. What the hell? Shut down by the Akron front. By Akron. Now, yeah, yeah, they gained yards through the air, but this is not Northwestern's identity when they've been successful. The Northwestern Pat Fitzgerald teams that have been the most successful play good defense, don't make mistakes, and run the ball effectively. So, they didn't run the ball effectively. How about mistakes? How about two pick sixes? Uh, Scoop and score as well, right? I think it was also, there were, I thought it was three defensive touchdowns in the span of like a quarter. Um, let me go and check that, but Clayton Thorson throwing 52 passes, man, you're not, you're you're not Randy Walker. The guy couldn't play the whole game the first two weeks because he's still coming back from an injury, and your solution is to have him throw the ball 52 times. Again, you're up 21 to 3 at halftime. What? Are you doing? What is the game plan here? I mean, we we gave both Frost and Brom some slack in their losses, even though there are maybe some schematic choices that contributed to them. How long has Fitzgerald been yeah. here now? When you look at the coaching situations in these baffling losses, okay, you have Maryland with a screwed-up situation there. Yeah, truly a unique thing. Yeah, okay, you have Brom, second year coaching, you know, lost a bunch of seniors. You have Frost, it's his first game inheriting the thing. Okay, 
And now you have Pat Fitzgerald, what, 10 years? Longer than that. What, what? Gotta be longer than that. He's been there longer than D'Antonio, who's on year 12, I think. So he's been there like 15 years. I mean, this is, yeah, ridiculous. So Northwestern goes up 21-3, to allows a field goal, uh, then can't get anything going, allows an uh, offensive touchdown, and then marches down the field and throws a 97-yard pick six. You know, Clayton Thorson did also break the Northwestern school record for career passing touchdowns in this game. Woo! All right. Okay, so, yeah, then... After, after that, let's get that out of our mouths by covering the one actual good thing the conference did this week. Because all the wins we've covered at this point have been just not embarrassing ourselves. Ohio State going down to Jerry World with a much more Ohio-friendly crowd than you would think, given that TCU, I think, has something like 80,000 living alumni. Um, <laughs> and they're all oil barons somehow. Right, so uh, there's not that many sweets in Jerry World, even with Jerry Jones being the owner. So Ohio State ends up winning this one 40-28. I watched a good chunk of this one as well. Early on, things look kind of hairy for the Buckeyes. Yeah, TCU was leading until the third quarter. Ohio State just said, wait a second. We what are we doing here? We have Draymond Jones. What is this nonsense about letting them move the ball? That's not going to happen Wait anymore. a second. What are we doing here? Why are we Why are we not winning this game? This is stupid. You do have to credit. I mean, as much crap as everyone likes to give Greg Schiano, and, and maybe deservedly so in some cases, you have to like the adjustments they made to deal with TCU's tempo, which I think, I don't remember who it was, but one of the Ohio State defense players, maybe it was Draymond Jones, said that was the fastest team we've ever seen. Um, yeah, TCU, again, they're in the Big 12. They're not really a team you usually associate with tempo because you think Gary Patterson, you think defense, you think kind of plotting ineffective offenses, but... They got some burners, man. They got some really good receivers. They have a dual-threat quarterback who can throw enough. Um, the difference in this game really was the turnovers for TCU. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. Really, Because if you look at the yardage, it was pretty much even. The turnovers were backbreakers. And, you know, the, Three the, turnovers for TCU to none for Ohio State. The one that turned into the fat guy touchdown for Draymond Jones was a bad decision by the quarterback, but like it wasn't one that should have resulted in that. It was an unbelievable play. And kind of the, if you want to put Ohio State's status of riches in a nutshell, Nick Bosa gets hurt and misses a good chunk of the game. And it's like, all right, well, we'll just, this other guy who's going to get drafted in the first round from the same position group, he'll make the back-breaking play instead. So, you know, more of the same for Ohio State. Got to challenge it first, and maybe that's good because from the next couple games, I mean, you've got Penn State coming, you want to have been challenged. You don't want to have a non-conference where, you're able to sleepwalk through it. Your starters only play a couple quarters. So, you know, Dwayne Haskins was fine. The offense looked markedly better with J.K. Dobbins as opposed to Mike Weber. To this point, there really hasn't been a noticeable difference to me. I think Dobbins is the better talent, but Weber's been good enough. In this game, you saw a clear separation, so I would expect to see them start to lean more towards Dobbins in the future. I don't know. Maybe I don't know anything, but that's just what I saw. Yep. Uh, their first true test comes in two weeks against Penn State. Uh, but now let's move on to um, a game that can be prescribed to induce vomiting. This game was drunk. Uh, uh, Rutgers is still in this conference and we can't get rid of them. It's <laughs> Okay, so we said on this very podcast... Look, Central Michigan <laughs> lost to Kansas because they turned the ball over six times. So as long as Rutgers doesn't turn the ball over six times, it should be fine. Exactly six turnovers. Good going, guys. Uh, Chris oh Ash God. continuing to just, like, make Arthur Sitkowski happen at all costs, even when the cost is a blowout loss to Kansas where he clearly loses the team in the second half. And they just oh, they, give up on they him. Quit. They quit. They, they completely quit. Four turnovers in the first, like, 17 minutes of gameplay. Yeah, they I, got a spark. What looked like a spark from a blocked field goal return for a touchdown. For a while, this game was just entertainingly drunk because <laughs> the scores were like what yeah. a field goal that was set up by a pick or something. I, um, <laughs> then there was a pick six for Kansas, and then Rutgers scored on a blocked field goal return for a touchdown. So the dude blocks the field goal, scoops it, scores, and flips the double bird to everybody in attendance <laughs> at Kansas. Fuck you, Kansas. Stop trying to... Fuck you, Kansas. You think you're worse than us? You're not. We'll show you. (laughs) Like, he's bigger Mayfield or something, but... uh, (laughs) So... I mean, just what? What the hell? Did anyone keep the receipt for Rutgers? Like, can we? Can we please? We'll we'll take store credit. We'll take UConn at this point. Now look, as I'm an Illini fan, I do have to rationalize this one a little bit so that it won't hurt as badly when we lose to them. You are not losing. Kansas. It's not. Did does did show one of the most exciting Kansas athletes that I can remember in Hookah Williams Jr., who was 
who was described as the highest rated recruit that Kansas has ever gotten. He went off for 158 yards and a touchdown, and he was also the difference maker against Central Michigan. It's not unthinkable that Kansas beats Baylor. It really isn't because yeah. Baylor got, you know, dismantled a few years ago as a program sure. and may still be recovering from that. Kansas has a way to run the ball, but of course, well, as you said, <laughs> their passing game is so god awful that how could you know how could you not stop them? Okay, okay, okay. So so they're gonna they could beat Baylor, so they'll win three games this year, and so yeah. we're giving Rutgers credit for not it look, this is year three of Chris Ashman. He's finally got some of his somewhat better recruits in this program. We t- and man, the quarterback play. We talked about how important it was for Sikowski to work out before the season. At this point, he's gotta shift his mindset, Chris Ash does. He's not going to get to reap the benefits He's of, not an gonna upper, make this happen. of an upperclassman Sitkowski. Well, he, it might end up working out. It might end up being that letting this kid play ends up benefiting him. He's not going to be around long enough if this keeps no, up. No, no, He's not going to see it if this keeps up. He's okay. got to go back to Rossigno. Gio Rossigno went 7 for 12 for 77 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. Do you realize... That's the Gio Rossigno experience. But, but that, here's the thing. That looks like JT Barrett in the fourth quarter against Penn State last year compared to Sitkowski's stat line. Yeah. Seven for 19, 47 yards, three picks, two for touchdowns. How many pick sixes has he thrown this year? And Rutgers ran the ball pretty effectively, too. That's the thing is, you, <laughs> they don't have to put Sitkowski in these decision, in these positions where he yeah, makes these terrible that's decisions. that's exactly what we said. Like, rarely do we ever actually prescribe anything correctly on this podcast. We just said, look, don't turn the ball over. Don't get too cute. They can't throw the ball. And they probably can't stop the run. But we, <laughs> Rutgers comes out throwing, and they turn it over six times. And I, I literally can't believe how correct we were, except that we correctly thought that Rutgers would do these things because they were obvious. Yeah. <laughs> so This has got to be like a, I mean, rock bottom. I mean, you can't get any worse than cementing your status as the no, worst Power 5 like, team. because, like, if you lose 78 nothing to Michigan, at least Michigan's a theoretically above-average team. you lose to Kansas, it's like, oh, shit, we lost to Kansas. This is really bad. But, no, you got dismantled by Kansas. by Kansas. You kept it closer against Ohio State somehow because they had mercy and because your team kept fighting. This was a really, really bad sign, and Chris Ash has a lot of work to do to regain the locker room. Fortunately, they play Illinois in a few weeks. And you know what? I'll tell you what. If we keep it respectable against Penn State here, right, we hang in until the fourth quarter, and then they win by, like, ten points, oh, I guarantee you we're going to lose to Rutgers. (laughs) That's exactly how that would go, isn't it? Um, So Rutgers is in... Big time trouble. So we got to the bottom of the uh, of the hog shit lagoon to keep things topical with current events. Um, if you cover the hurricane North Carolina, uh, we got to the very bottom of it. We hit dirt. There's no shit left to dig through. Yep, this is as low as you can go. Your source for Big Ten talk. It's off tackle empire.